This episode of Z Prime on the Grid is brought to you by ABB. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. How's it going, Aaron? It's going well, Dylan. Excited to be talking about digital transformation today. Yes, today on the show, we have Gary Ratcliffe. He is the Vice President of Smart Grids and Grid Modernization in North America for ABB. Gary, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks, Dylan. Gary, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work in the space of the digital grid? Sure. At ABB, I'm responsible for, well, initially smart grid technologies and now grid modernization, which the digital grid is a, is a component of that. My work is, is based on looking at the strategy and also the business development of these technologies, which have been evolving since smart grid really got its push in around 2010. It's been an interesting experience seeing the changing focus, but also the growth in the industry. And in particular, now we're seeing utilities move to the digital grid, investing in digitalization. It's an exciting time. So we're seeing a transition to the digital grid, and we're seeing utilities prioritize different types of projects to ultimately become fully digital entities. So some of these projects focus on digitizing assets across the energy value chain, whether that's a digital twin of a generation station or a VPP on the distribution grid. And others are focusing on delivering customers a better experience through like more customization and control. On top of all of this, we're seeing heavy regulatory pressure to decarbonize. While there is a unified urgency of going digital, what that actually means can vary from enterprise to enterprise as utilities are pulled in many different directions. How utilities are pursuing these different avenues and what they need to plan for is the focus of this episode and our recent research. So we're happy to have Gary here to break down the strategy of building the digital grid. But just a bit of recent history, Gary, you were at ETS 19 a couple weeks back. You had a panel, it was called The Road to 100% Clean Energy, Smart Strategies for Renewable Integration. So tell us a bit about what that panel was about and what some of the strategies and advice were coming out of it in regards to incorporating renewables. Sure. So the integration of renewable generation to the grid has been receiving increased attention recently with more states announcing pathways for greenhouse gas emission reduction and an increased focus on clean energy, carbon-free, integrating renewables into the grid and establishing renewable portfolio standards that move either utilities have said this or states uh, to 100% renewable generation has put increased focus on how do we integrate renewables uh, into the grid. And so that was the real core of the discussion at the panel. We talked about both integrating renewables at the transmission level and what some of the challenges are uh, in terms of capacity, also coordination with other centralized generation resources, you know, the overall lack of storage that we have today in the grid. And those are some of the challenges that, that we see that if we could remove those, we'd be able to facilitate renewable integration. The other challenge we have, too, is as we retire coal and some of the carbon or thermal generation resources, the renewable generation is not located at the same same place. So the grid may not be as flexible as needed to accommodate the shifting of location of generation resources. 
that's one one challenge. The other another challenge is renewable generation typically doesn't provide some of the spinning reserve or more specifically though inertia to the grid, the ability to sustain frequency whenever there is a, a disruption on the grid. Uh, the other challenge also is uh, a lot of the renewables are connected to the grid through power electronics, you know, solar PV inverters, and then the, the drivetrain for wind generation involves a back-to-back -back power conversion using power electronics as well. And so you don't have the short circuit capability that you might have with traditional generation resource such as a, a thermal generator. So those are just some of the issues that we discussed at the transmission level, at the distribution level, the hosting capability, being able to manage voltages on distribution feeders and determining how to operate, where to connect, and be able to leverage the resources at the distribution level. So it was a good discussion. What were some of the key takeaways you got from doing that in terms of addressing those challenges? Well, I think there's different drivers. I think when you connect a larger scale or utility scale renewables to the grid, you really have, you're really participating uh, in the centralized markets with the, with the grid resources. And that basically can help establish the economic value. The second part at grid edge on the distribution feeders, we have seen less, less of a percentage of investment as distributed energy resources. But you have two factors. One is we need to manage the distribution feeders from an operational point of view. And that's one element of distributed energy resource management. And then we also need to see how we coordinate those distributed energy resources when they're aggregated with overall centralized generation. So there's a virtual power plant functionality associated with distributed energy resources, as well as an operational component around volt bar control, for example, and protection and control for those distributed energy resources. So I think we just need to look at how best to integrate them. And I think a key will be storage. And another key will be demand response. And what I mean by demand response is shaping load uh, to match the characteristics or the profile of renewable generation. So for example, how do we shift load to the middle of the afternoon if we have surplus solar? And I think those actions will help us be able to accommodate more renewable generation to the grid. I think that's important, having these sorts of solutions thought out in advance of bringing this stuff on. That way you can make sure you're not, uh, you're prepared for for mitigating factors that maybe you didn't anticipate at the start. And that kind of ties into one of the main things I wanted to talk about, which was the, the paper and infographic we worked on with you centered around the digital maturity curve, which is described as a vision and framework for how utilities can effectively modernize to meet regulatory and business challenges. Um, so what uh, was the goal of this report? What trends were we looking towards? A key driver for doing the survey and the research and then preparing the, the paper and, and some of the presentations that we're currently working on, it was really to try and explain the process to move from historically how utilities have managed uh, their grids and their, their infrastructure uh, and how they can transition from that state to a more digital grid. I mean, the concept is, you know, the digital grid maturity curve, but how do you how do you advance? How do you show progress? And what are the steps to the you know in the roadmap to move from you know 
you know, the starting point, which in some cases is analog data to a full digital grid. And I, I think having, breaking down the steps, having the roadmap, understanding the challenges at each step of the way was what we were trying to show and illustrate with the project. Let's talk about those steps. So in the curve, we defined three stages or steps, as you just referred to them, Gary, a digitization, which is moving from analog systems to digital and really beginning data collection. Then you have digitalization, which is using that data to transform business processes. And then we have the last step as enterprise integration. And this is truly a digital entity, the optimization of strategic data-driven decision-making. What would you say, based off you know, some of the research that we found and what you're also hearing in the industry, what stage would you say that most North American utilities are currently in today when it comes to those three stages or steps that we outlined in the maturity curve? So that's a difficult question to answer, but one of the reasons that we did the study and, and the research I would say, as a general answer, utilities are at one of the stages of digitalization. I think much of the digitization, the conversion from analog to digital has already started and perhaps is 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 more complete. And examples are of that are going back maybe almost two decades or more, where utilities took paper maps that they used for outage restoration and as analog as you can get. And now we have advanced distribution management systems which are being implemented, you know, with computerized wall boards based on modeling from geographic information systems. We now have fiber optic sensors and substations which give a, provide a digital signal. If we still are using analog sensors in, in a substation, as an example, we can convert them to digital in the substation using merging units. And so we're seeing this these transitions across utilities today. And I would say much of the digitization work has been done. We still have a fair amount of work in terms of the digitalization process. And as we complete that, utilities, I think, maybe a little bit in parallel. Some of them may need to be done sequentially, but there's probably some work that can be done in parallel where we start to then transform the utility businesses and further leverage the data. So I'd say we're in that stage. Is there anyone that you would say is really being a leader in the enterprise integration side? So... I think some utilities are starting to apply digital technologies at the enterprise level. I mean, you know, at the recent Energy Thought Summit, Gil Quinones from Power Authority was acknowledged for all the work that they've been doing to establish NIPA as a digital utility. And so there's a lot of work that's being done to be progressive in the industry and move towards that concept of a digital grid. But each utility is, is taking its own path. Some are still at the stage of just starting to put together a roadmap to prioritize the steps. But very publicly, NIPA is aggressively moving to achieve that goal. What lessons can you take from something like what they're doing and apply that to your own roadmap? Because obviously, like we said at the at the top of the episode, utilities are kind of being pulled towards digitization in many different directions, and they'll probably have to make priorities based on, you know, what's 
what's mm-hmm. most urgent for them in their their service territory. Um, so how how do you go about building that roadmap? What what lessons can you take from like the NIPAs of the world while also still addressing the top concerns of your customers? Sure. So I think there's a couple of things that that, that can be done. One component of it is at the enterprise level, integrating the different IT systems that exist at a utility. And so what I mean by that is being able to integrate at the data level, for example, the meter data management system, which provides you know, all of the data needed for billing from the meters, but also be integrating the AMI system, the advanced metering infrastructure in general, and the meter data management system with the advanced distribution management system. That's an example of where you can share data and information between two systems and drive drive operational improvement. Having outage notification from AMI systems automatically processed and fed to your outage management uh, application that's part of your ADMS is an example of what I would call digitalization. And so it's progress in, in those areas where I think uh, utilities can can make gains. So if you take, let's take advanced metering infrastructure as an example. You know, initially it was deployed to improve the efficiency of capturing uh, meter data, but now we're seeing more applications around analytics based on the data that has been captured, whether it's determining customer preferences, whether it's using that information to validate system models, whether it's using the information to do better system planning, we're seeing extensions and applications on the data that further improve business operations and processes. And so I think it's moving up the maturity curve on some of the the digital applications, digital substations. Again, converting analog to digital in the yard if you don't have digital sensors, replacing copper with fiber and bringing all the data back into the control house over a, a fiber optic process bus. And then having, a, you know, again, a, a digital station bus. And then you have local access, but you also can then push information back to the enterprise level. And that's both operational data and control, which it has to be secure, of course. But also you can bring back non-operational data on the, on the assets. Because if you have sensors on, for temperature, partial discharge, or other other attributes of some of the assets in the substation, you can also bring that information back. And it's that integration of data coming from substation that really drives the value of of a digital substation. Some of the analytics, we're seeing a lot of utilities now do asset performance management, which I just mentioned is because some of that data can come out of the substation, but it's the integration of inspection reports maintenance reports, crew service work done in the, in the substation, for example, as well as pulling data from the historian, you know, the SCADA EMS historian, which has operational data. And then being able to apply performance models, machine learning algorithms to determine what is the health of the asset, what is its condition. If it's not where it needs to be, why not? And what do you need to do to fix it? ultimately to predict performance and make sure that you would achieve the reliability and availability that's needed from the grid. And so that's another example of 
what I would call moving to a digital grid. Third example would be digital distribution. This is perhaps an application of industrial Internet of Things technology, but if you have software for control or analytics, such as an advanced distribution management system, communications or connectivity, and in devices that you can control, such as reclosers for automated switching for reliability purposes, or other devices for voltage control and optimization, like smart solar PV inverters or capacitor banks or line voltage regulators, you can now raise the level of operation of your distribution grid that enables you to do things you couldn't do otherwise, such as accommodate more renewables on a distribution feeder, all because you have the software, the connectivity, the things that you can control or sensors that you can get data in terms of the status and performance of your operations. And I think those are just some of the examples, digital substation, advanced metering, the digital distribution and asset performance management. Those are components that drives value to the utility, raises their level of digitalization and helps utilities advance towards that business transformation. That's the goal of going through the process. Gary, hearing you talk about these things, it really does bring to mind this challenge that I actually frequently hear when I'm talking to utilities around this convergence of information technology and operational technology. I think one of the biggest issues utilities are having today is simply having those two groups work together in a way that's cohesive and makes sense. These are two business areas that traditionally were pretty siloed and they didn't have to work together. One of the top challenges listed in our report for moving into a more digital future is business benefit and ROI. I would imagine if you're having issues with your business units working together, that would contribute to the challenge of defining what the business benefits are because you're having to look across different areas than you traditionally have had to do. Are you seeing this? Are you working with some utilities to overcome this challenge of having to break down silos and kind of look at the way information moves in a different way? Uh, to, to some extent, I think what's behind, you know, the, the the digital grid and the investment that we're seeing utilities to move up the digital maturity curve is really what some people call the fourth industrial revolution. It's really the application of information technology to things you operate. And in the case of the utility, you know, it's an OTIT, but it's how do you operate the grid and leverage the, the information technology? And I think that's where the industry is. We're, we're capitalizing on, you know, OTIT integration, which we haven't done previously. But I think the digital grid actually facilitates breaking down some of the silos. And, and one, one example would be asset performance management. One of the challenges that engineering and operations has is how to assess health of an asset and how to validate or define that an asset has reached end of life and it needs to be replaced and put together the economic justification for that. It's a challenge that certainly engineers have, and it's also a challenge that people on the finance side would have. And then, of course, there's all the information management in addition to the operations that, that IT is trying to address. But when they come together, you can 
create substantial operational improvements and also business, business value. And we have customers who have recovered the cost of investment of an asset performance management system within the first year through improvements in eliminating certainly catastrophic uh, outages you, you want to avoid, but just managing planned outages, scheduling workers and crews, knowing health of assets so you know which assets to focus on so you're improving your, your overall productivity. So reliability goes up, availability goes up, workforce productivity, as I mentioned, increases, all because you're capturing all the data that you already have within the, the, the utility relative to assets and their health consolidating that and providing the visibility to that information across the enterprise to all the stakeholders. And those are the changes that I think drive value, but they also break down some of the silos within a utility if they existed. I won't say any of our utility customers have silos. Potentially, but I won't. <laughs> I'm not going to point any fingers. I mean, what you're saying about driving value lines up with the, with the data. Uh, the top three benefits of digitalization, according to the the paper, are better customer choice and engagement, analytics-based decision-making, and increased visibility and control. And we, you just talked a lot about the, the control and the analytics. And I guess one thing I'm interested in is the customer choice and engagement. And we talked about integrating renewables. We talked about demand response. But how else does adequately planning this digital piece help with customer engagement? So I think customer engagement and why... It was ranked at a high level by the participants in the survey is because of the data that's now available from advanced metering infrastructure. There's a tremendous amount of information when you can convert a system over to smart meters where you now have 15-minute interval data from every single meter. And as long as you can correlate the meters to physical location and electrical location, in other words, the feeder or the supply that's that's providing energy to that meter, you now have a pretty powerful tool to look at how customers behave when they consume. And then also you can construct different demand response programs or different offerings or products that the utility can offer, whether they're based on reliability, whether it's time of use, whatever the case may be. They now have the data to evaluate, assess, plan those programs and then, of course, validate how they're performing. And if you don't have that level of data, you can't, can't do that. So that's why I think a lot of the customer programs and customer engagement at least has part of its foundation in the, the metering data that's now available through smart meters. What about for things like electric vehicles, where maybe that AMI meter data isn't necessarily going to get you all the way to tackling that issue, but it's still something that I think is a unique challenge for a digital utility? So I think with EV charging, you know, the key with EV charging, I think for utilities is one, it's a benefit to the utilities because it's a way that they can increase their, their load. And I think that's an important component of, of the value of electric vehicles to the utility and why they're, why they're interested. But that's only if they don't increase the peak demand so that they don't have to add additional capacity. And the way to do that is through managed charging. And if you do managed charging, it's either some type of demand response, could be a time of use program, but you have to be able to measure when the customers are, are 
consuming electricity if they have a special program for electric vehicles that helps manage when vehicles are charged uh, either through rates or scheduling or, or whatever the case may be. And here's an example of a technology that enables utilities to develop load, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, address a need that customers want for those individuals buying an electric vehicle, and do so that benefits everybody when you push more power through the grid. And all because you have the ability to measure and be able to do invoicing, basically, from the utility perspective, based on when power is consumed. I'm assuming that a similar strategy can be applied to other grid edge devices when you're trying to plan for your utility of the future. Sure, absolutely. I mean, man response programs have had their genesis with direct load control, primarily by the public power markets who buy their power in bulk and pay a, a charge based on their peak demand that occurs during the year. So it's in their best interest to avoid peak demand. So the direct load control programs are all focused on being able to curtail consumption whenever the muni or co-op was going to hit a, hit a peak. And so those systems have been around for a while, but now when you have smart meters, you can be much more sophisticated in what you do. And you can measure what's occurring in terms of how customers are behaving, when are they consuming, and when you can charge accordingly, but you can also structure rates that enables them to do more things, whether it's shifting load on air conditioners. If you could pre-cool houses when you have a lot of solar, to be cool in the evening without contributing to evening peak, that's, and you offer a lower rate to customers who do cool their house in the afternoon versus doing so during the evening peak, it's a win-win, assuming your house will stay cool enough, long enough to be comfortable in the evening, but just ways that you can shift demand and avoid the peaks, which cause capacity constraints and if it requires investment to meet that capacity. Plus, whenever you have a, a, I'll call it a peaky load, you have poor utilization of your assets. And so anything you can do to levelize load and then now with renewables, shift load to match when renewables are available and then have the ability to track, measure, and be able to, to charge based on when customers are consuming and offer them products that they want. That's what makes it work, and, and it's a huge opportunity. So we've talked about grid edge devices, a lot about AMI, VPPs. When we think about this, the decentralization of resources on the grid, of course, we have to talk about what that means from a security perspective. If you can orchestrate decentralized resources to be to do the job that a traditional centralized generation plant uh, could do, then you can significantly impact the grid in a positive way. But that also means that there is the capability or that also means that those devices or resources can be orchestrated to negatively impact the grid. And Gary, we also talked about the, the benefits of digitalization. And you had mentioned that uh, the third benefit, increased visibility and control, actually does lead to increased security. So can you talk a little bit about the role that security plays in uh, the digital grid and how we can 
move forward through the digital maturity curve and increase security as we do that? So if you look at security and probably the most relevant part of security for this podcast is cybersecurity. And there's no doubt as you increase the number of distributed resources or distributed devices, uh, each of those is a potential access point to the grid, and it does make it more challenging. Clearly, that's the case. But if you also have more visibility to what's going on to the grid through additional sensors, um, that the utility has additional monitoring, analysis of trending, you know, depending upon what the device is, in some regards can model part of the grid in terms of how you expect it to perform and compare that to how it is performing, you know, similar to a concept of a digital twin. And that gives you more advanced notice, perhaps, if there is something which is not normal. Cybersecurity addresses authentication, encryption, a lot of it is just simple things like password management and access, uh, physical access, as well as, you know, um, being able to, to access the systems. But I do think the more visibility you have, it improves your operation and control capability, and that enables you to be a little bit more resilient and also respond if there's some type of breach or somebody's trying to do something they're not supposed to do. But it is a big challenge. When it comes to things like security, and I guess also we can bring it back to the integration of renewables here, there's a lot of talk going on about regulatory requirements and like city pledges for clean energy. Do you think these kinds of regulations and long-term goals are helping jumpstart investment into digital maturity? So I think there's a couple of different facets to, to what you're asking. When you see the announcements by different states and even some of the utilities are also making some of the same announcements to move to a clean energy environment, to incorporate more renewables into the grid, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and you know, go to 100% renewable generation. Uh, I think there's a couple of things that, that are important. One is it's great to, to aspire to the clean energy goals, but there are operational constraints of the grid, and we do need to make sure that we have the technologies so that we can get to 100% renewable, that we have the ability to shift load, we have the ability to store power and can do the coordination of grid operations so that, that we can achieve that. Second is cost. One of the advantages, for example, of renewables is that the costs have come down dramatically, uh, both particularly on solar, but also on wind. And when you now have for utility scale auctions, market clearing prices in the 20s, $20, well, $20 to $25 in that range per megawatt hour levelized cost of energy, you're now competitive at a cost level. I think that's significant. Same thing with electric vehicles. First cost for an electric vehicle is now approaching that of an internal combustion engine, and the operating and maintenance costs are lower, so your total cost of ownership is lower. Uh, you know, there's some other operational attributes such as range, which is still still might be an issue. But for fleets, Fleets are, you know, there's no emotion in a fleet business decision. It's purely the economics. And the economics are now attractive for fleets where you know where it's being driven, you know the range requirement, and you can manage size of battery, the vehicle, where you charge, when you charge, to do so most optimally, you know, from a business business point of view. And when you look at trying to reduce 
greenhouse gas emissions, it's renewable generation and you know, reducing the number of internal combustion engines on the road that have the most impact in emission reduction. But what's really the driver is having the, the announcements about we're going to be 100% renewable or we're going to you know, take internal combustion engine engines off the road. The driver that's making that possible is the fact that the costs have come down of those technologies. And then, then, the, uh, then the next challenge is, is, can we do it? How do we manage transitions? How do we operate under a, a new paradigm of grid operations, for example? And I think that's the third component. So how does a smart utility partner with regulators and policymakers to create a better digital future for their business, <laughs> for their customers, and presumably for the planet as well? So generally speaking, my experience has been utilities will readily invest if they can get cost recovery. That has always at least been a general fact that I have seen. But I think where the challenge is, is some of the benefits of renewable generation and some of the benefits that we've talked about directly benefit customers and they're a societal or a customer benefit. And for a utilities business case, where they don't directly cover benefits in their specific operations, but are relying on customer benefits as well, it becomes more difficult to get regulator and just consumer support for those types of investments. And I think that's that's a challenge. If it was strictly, uh, as an example, I talked about asset performance management software, where when you implement those systems, the utility is making a capital investment, it's reducing its own M expense, and it's improving reliability and its operational efficiency, and payback can be less than a year. That makes sense for the utility to do. There's a return on investment, doesn't involve third-party benefits at all. And that's a, a digital investment that utilities can make today with existing technologies and move forward. And it's a component of the digital grid. But if we look at automating distribution feeders, LISR or FDIR, fault detection, isolation, restoration, or fault location, isolation, and service restoration, the cost of implementing the software the communications, the communications enabled devices, such as the reclosers or distribution automation switches, that takes money. It's a digital solution, but it takes money. And there are savings to the utility. Windshield time is reduced. It can be more focused in terms of where they send the crew because the isolation of the fault has already occurred. Customers that can be restored have already been restored and the crew can just go out and fix the, fix the fault. So there are definitely operational efficiencies, but the total cost is difficult to recover just on the utility operational efficiencies. Is there benefit to the increased reliability? Absolutely. So the customers do benefit. But how do you build that into your business case? You can estimate it, and there are tools for doing that in the industry. But at the end of the day, the utility can't say, this goes to my bottom line in savings when I make this investment, and it covers the full cost. There needs to be a societal component that you know, basically state legislative bodies and the regulators who interpret the laws that they pass need to need to say, this is something that has overall economic benefit, and we're going to allow the utility to recover its cost for implementing it. And I think that's where there's a lot of, there, there's some tension, and that's that's a little difficult to overcome. It does seem like the dialogues that are needed to bridge those gaps are, are happening, right? 
Yeah, I mean, there's an environment where reliability and resiliency is important because we're seeing we could we could discuss whether they're related to climate change or not, but there's no question utilities are seeing more storms and the storms they are seeing are more severe and it's causing more damage to the grid. So reliability and also the ability for storm response or outage management and resiliency of the grid are becoming very important. And those are elements of digital distribution to better respond and manage the, the outages that occur and also to be able to communicate to all the stakeholders, you know, estimated time of repair, keeping customers informed of what's going on with the grid. There's analytics involved in that process too. You know, if you know a storm is being predicted, what if past storms done to the, to the grid and where should I put my workers? Where should I stage my crews? What are the supply chain requirements? Then using analytics to assess what damage has occurred. Outage notification helps from the AMI system, but you know there could be other sensors which also provide data on where outages are occurring and how many customers are out of service and what determining what's the cause. And then managing that restoration process, prioritizing, keeping everybody informed, and then assessing after the fault, uh, after the after the storm, after the fact, um, to determine how to do better next time. And so. Analytics comes into multiple stages of storm response. There's increased emphasis on storm response because of the number of storms that are occurring. And public utility commissions and the states are pushing utilities to modernize their grids with these technologies to be able to do better and to minimize the outages because they see a public value. And in that scenario, it works. But you know, if the utility doesn't have that push, and then not able to get cost recovery, it'll be very it'll be a slow road to move up the digital maturity curve. It's a good way to bring it all back to that to that digital maturity curve. Gary, thank you very much for coming on and talking about all of these challenges and steps that are being taken to overcome them as we rapidly see what is what is going to become of the of the of the digital grid and the digital utility. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it and uh, thanks for having me participate. And Aaron, thanks for being on and having this conversation with us. As always, thank you, Dylan. And thanks to ABB for sponsoring this episode. Uh, if you want to find the Digital Maturity Curve paper and infographic, you can find it along with all of our other research and media at etsinsights.com. You can find us on social media at DY Lockwood, at Aaron underscore Hardick, and at Z Prime underscore research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.